0: Today, welcome to Minding Your Mind. Our podcast is about your mind. It's about how it works. It's about mental illness. It's about mental health. And I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Center at the University of Sydney. Today, we're discussing the interrelationship between mental health and hormones, a topic suggested by Janice, thank you Janice, who wrote, I would love to hear from you about how hormones affect mental health. I've experienced some of my worst mental health episodes postnatally, when I have periods and now as I approach menopause, but have found there's a gap in linking the two even in conversations with my psychiatrist. Surely there's something going on there. Could you discuss on the podcast if appropriate? Well, we can't, Janice. Uh, Ian, what are hormones?
1: Well, I was going to say, Janice has got the trifecta there. Hmm. Sorry about your psychiatrist, Janice. I mean, you got it right. So three things come into play. We don't really have depression pre-puberty, but puberty comes along, and for girls, estrogen and other factors become important. I mean, Testosterone, other hormonal changes for boys also are important. Mm. But the onset of the interaction, really serious interaction between your hormonal status and your brain takes off. And for girls who have menstrual cycles, have monthly cycles, they'll often notice the change in association that as their various levels of estrogen and progesterone go up and down. And then those who are at risk, which we'll come to understand one day, when they have babies in the postnatal period are at risk again. And as Janice has kindly pointed out, the trifecta is when you become menopausal, you find out you're vulnerable again. So yes, there is a distinct relationship between hormonal status in those three life transition periods and the onset of depression in women who are vulnerable to this effect. Mm. So hormones are interacting with brain circuitry. But what are they? What are the hormones? Yeah,
0: no, what are hormones? Let's, let's well, I mean, sorry, I have back it up. Sorry, back it up. don't really know okay. what
1: they are. Hormones are the chemicals produced by what we call the endocrine glands. Glands that produce hormones. Hormones are then chemicals that feed back on all sorts of key brain and body functions. Such as? So your thyroid yep. produces thyroid hormone. Under stimulation from your brain, think from your brain. We'll just get back one, one step further. Your brain regulates a thing called the hypothalamic pituitary axis. Oh. The pituitary gland, no, anterior and posterior, no releases stimulating hormones to all these glands around the body, to the thyroid, to the adrenal gland, to a range of others to produce hormones, which then feed back and regulate things like your metabolic rate. So thyroid hormone sets your body metabolic rate, how quickly you burn up energy.
0: Oh, okay. And they also, there's hormones that help you with digestion, right? Yep. With let's go to the next one. The,
1: yeah, adrenal ones. The adrenal ones, which, yep. which are cortisol every day, which make you get out of bed and be active and respond to stress. Got to have those. Then there's the sex hormones. Oh, that yeah. We got to go to puberty, but lead in boys and girls to produce producing. So you have got the brain. I just remember the brain's at the center of this, which is why we'll come back to the brain being really important. Because if you go see an endocrinologist, a specialist in medicine who talks about glands, they don't often mention the brain. They talk about your thyroid or your adrenals mm. or or your ovaries or your testes. Where does all that stuff come from? And various other ones that affect the gut or affect mm. other bits.
0: But it's all coming from fact, your brain. It's actually it's all under the
1: control of your brain. Okay. And they all have feedback systems to go back and tell the brain, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, to turn it off or up or down mm. or up and regulate it so in response to what's going on in your world.
0: Are These two examples, if I eat dinner my brain will cause the release of chemicals hormones that start my digestive system.
1: Yeah, so they're right. yes. And, yes, and also
0: if i cut myself, my brain will release hormones that are just kev- chemicals that travel through my blood that go to the affected area and start repairing the cut. Yes or no?
1: No. There, really? Well, there are many other factors that have got to do with fixing mm-hmm. the cuz you're into the immune system what then. Can't it oh, you're into the immune system and the hormone system. These are interconnected systems. Okay. The reason the two that we're interested in really are the stress hormones, the cortisol-releasing hormones. Yep. That we really care about those in the brain and depression business and the anxiety and depression business. And the other one I'm discussing today, whenever I think about hormones, <laughs> I think about sex. I think about sex hormones mm. and the issues that Janice raised about the way in which the problems we're associated with tend to come on when sex hormones come on during adolescence and then tend to recur when you have ups and downs in those sex hormones over mm. the course of your life. So hormones are produced by glands that are under the control of the brain at different life stages and in relation to certain circumstances. to set something intrinsically. They set thresholds. They set thresholds for metabolism. They are or, as with menstrual cycles, they're actually cyclical in their nature. Right. Which is a very complicated process. Okay. And then, worst, you can't do it. Now, you can't do without them. Hormones? Yeah, because, for example, yeah. well, that might seem obvious, but menopause, what a bad idea. What a bad idea that estrogen should ever stop. In fact, as many girls will be aware, oh, you may not be aware, estrogen's actually really good for your brain. Okay. So in a brain-preserving way, uh, there's been a lot of suggestion we need to take, many of us, boys included, should take estrogen, you know, for things like preventing dementia and oh. preventing heart disease and- Uh, Although women have a lot of disadvantages associated with their hormonal status, from a brain point of view, there's a lot of upsides. And from a cardiovascular point of view, heart disease point of view, there's a lot of upsides to estrogen that it has other protective effects.
0: So we're going to talk about the relationship between hormones and mental health, uh, between hormones and emotion, between hormones and mood, and some of the things we'll look at are uh, uh, periods before a baby, after a baby, menopause, when in love. But before we get into it, Is this mainly something relevant to women or is it relevant to men as well? Well, men can be in love. They can't do many of the other things I mentioned. (laughs)
1: Well, you're talking about hormones, and then you're talking about a particular subclass, sex hormones. So mm. just to chuck two others in, I mentioned stress hormones, yes. the cortisol ones, matter to everybody, and that whole system can go wrong in relation to depression. The brain seems to lose its sensitivity to the feedback mechanism. Mm. And so depressive states are associated with hypercortisolism. It goes up, and it stays up. shouldn't do that. It should go down again, mm. but it doesn't. And it looks as if that's brain insensitivity to the feedback. Thyroid hormone, if you ever get depressed or you're miserable and you go and to see a doctor, one of the things they'll order are thyroid hormone tests to make sure you are not either hyperthyroid, particularly if you're young, or hypothyroid, too low. Because if you're hypothyroid, you have no energy. Okay. And many of the diseases that attack hormone glands, so autoimmune diseases that attack the thyroid or attack the adrenal or attack other gland-producing other hormone-producing glands, to get the, get the wording straight here, autoimmune diseases are more common in women than men. Mm. So women are also more prone to developing those diseases that lead to some of these low hormone or abnormal hormonal states.
0: Right. Okay.
1: But the most commonly discussed when people go hormonally is sex hormones. But we can say there's stress hormones, there's thyroid hormones, they're all relevant to what we care about, but sex hormones, particularly women, have noticed forever the association between their cyclical sex hormone status, and these stages of life, particularly the perinatal and Well, metaposal. let's go
0: through each one and talk about, for each one, the relationship between what's happening hormonally and and mental health, emotions, and mood. So firstly, periods.
1: Well, I could say, oh, let's start with puberty. Okay. I'll go on, going. We start with puberty. puberty, yeah. Why people like myself tend to say that depression doesn't really happen in kids is, although Children have sex differentiation. The really big thing that happens around puberty is, shunk, is the onset of sex hormones, and which is started by the brain. It's not started by the ovaries or the testes. The brain says to those things, okay, time to grow, start producing more of those hormones. As those hormones come in, you see this big upswing in moodiness <laughs> and it's feedback on the brain. Now, for girls, of course, that's a psychical thing. so It's going up and down on a monthly basis. So many young women will report during the onset after puberty of their periods. That was a really tough period. Mm. They suddenly had this cyclical mood thing going on in association with particularly the second part or the end part of their menstrual cycle uh, each month and having premenstrual mood exacerbation. So in this surge in hormonal status or change in hormonal status at the end of each cycle. So it happens every month. So lots of women will say, that's when I first really had these mood swings that I couldn't otherwise explain. Yeah. Changing in terms of the hormonal status and this feedback on the brain. For many young women, that settles down fairly quickly. So although they notice it, it's not it's not severe and it doesn't necessarily interfere with their life. And it, as they move from being 12, 13, 14 to being 15, 16, 17, it's not as severe. Now for some, obviously, it persists. But it's the up and it's the up and downness of it, it's the changing levels. That appear to be important, rather than the absolute level.
0: Well, what's what's, well, I don't know if "scary" is too too dramatic a word, but interesting at least is that you often can trace your mood to an event. You well, know, you think you can? Yeah, I had a bad day. You now, yeah, um, it set me yeah. off. Yeah. I had a great day. Yeah. I feel. you don't have
1: a menstrual cycle last night. No.
0: <laughs> but it's. I would. I mean, it must be. You know, it's outside your control. You're in a bad mood. You don't know why. I mean, I suppose I'm like that sometimes.
1: No, but that's the really interesting thing in discussing with young women. For a but grandpa's. not just young. Ah, oh, but the no. onset of it, what you said is people expect to be there an event. Okay. We expect there to be a trigger. We expect yeah, to be yeah, a yeah. precipitant. That's well, how, that's how we rationalize
0: it. A hormonal trigger.
1: Yeah. Mm. But coming to understand that that's the thing, not what somebody at school said to you or the text that you just received or- Right,
0: that's a useful bit of knowledge, It's an
1: incredibly useful bit of knowledge. It's an internal cycling thing. Mm. Have you ever had that? I'm very grateful to my daughters who've occasionally turned around and said to me, actually, it wasn't your fault. (laughs) I've come to realize why I wasn't in such a great mood that day, Mm. those few days. And actually, it wasn't you, Dad.
0: Is there anything you can do? I mean, because some people- To know it.
1: No, but the insight is critical. The insight is critical. Because just imagine the trouble you can get yourself into if you don't know that that there's something happening and it has a certain mm. psychical pattern and it's your own internal physiology which is driving that and it's changing your irritability. It's changing your perception of other people. It's changing your mood state, which is changing your behavior in the interpersonal world.
0: But, I mean, it's, it's a bad system, isn't
1: it? a <laughs> bad system. Would you like to speak to the design person in responsible
0: place? Well, I, I guess what I mean is you, in a lot of ways, mm. Humans and other animals are really efficient. You know, we we
1: hang on. This one birth, goes with reproduction, you know. right?
0: Yeah, but I mean, can't you, why is the, why? the side effect of reproduction being a couple of days of feeling crap each month? Seems. So See, you think we're we, per- are we perfectly designed? Are you well, a believer in intelligent not. design?
1: I am not. A, just in case any listener has never picked well, this up, I, I guess, am not a believer in intelligent no, I design.
0: But I, I guess we've talked about the evolutionary. Uh, purpose advantage. Of, of depression, right? Yes. That so there might be a purpose of yes. it. It's controversial, but there might be. I don't but, there believe
1: might it, but be. yeah. Is there too.
0: any advantage of feeling crap for a couple of days?
1: No. In fact, I'd suggest it's highly risky. Yeah, I agree. So what's the upside? Hang on, but evolution didn't, know, evolution didn't ask that question. <laughs> Humans have this thing. Human cycling, so mm. compared with other species, human females cycle regularly. Guess what? They can get pregnant a lot. Yeah, I know. Because they've got cycles of fertility that are much more frequent than many other species.
0: By the way, I think we should just acknowledge it's probably irritating to some women listening that to We're having men this discussion. are discussing this. No, We're Janice, just doing our best. Hang on. Janice, Janice, Janice raised asked. the issue.
1: Janice said psychiatrists don't want to talk about it. I hey. want him here, even though I'm a male psychiatrist of a certain age, hmm. father of many daughters, seen a lot of women. I mean, Janice is, I'm really glad Janice raised this because I have had many women take this up with me. What is wrong with you guys? I said, excuse me, like many many <laughs> things, many things, but you're not interested. Yeah. I said, on the contrary. Where should we on start? On the contrary. We are really interested. And many women, I think what Janice's frustration is, is many women have raised this issue with their doctor or their psychologist, or, and the issues never got seriously addressed. I see. Yeah. So I'm sorry. We apologize. We really shouldn't be having this discussion on our own. But, but, and sex hormones is just one of the hormones. I mean, boys have thyroids and have adrenals too.
0: But is it just... the, the for an idiot like me, the chemical changes that need to happen to make you fertile just disrupt the rhythm of your, of your mood. Yes. And that's just an inevitable part of a tough life. Yes. And some, for some it's worse and for some it's not.
1: So if you take the evolutionary, you don't try and impose design on evolution and say mm. humans have developed a menstrual cycle that had clearly had an upside in terms of increasing the chance of reproduction. But there's no one ever asked about the downside.
0: Mm. And there's no pill you guys have developed to say, look, you still get the upside, you're still fertile, but this regulates the, the, the mood?
1: Boy, what an excellent question again. Mm. So for about uh, 50 years after it was first discovered, people went for the pill. Yeah, well that- Could we regulate the cycle? Is it, if it's this extreme moving up and down- that's associated most with this kind of menstrual exacerbation of mood problems would going to making uh, periods regular and the dose regular help so for about 50 years the answer has been try the pill
0: because
1: <laughs> hmm. at least it sets a regular dose right. and doesn't change it and doesn't let it just wander right. fertile. <laughs> well some would say the upside is yeah, uh, you don't get yeah. pregnant either yeah. but it makes them it makes the hormonal movement regular in its nature right so it takes the sort of peaks and troughs out of the system and makes it mm-hmm. not run under its natural thing. Now, of course, people are somewhat reluctant to necessarily say to young women, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know, necessarily yeah, going, going on the, the pill. pill at an early stage, particularly since it may settle down. It may just be part of the brain developmental process. And then once the feedback loops are established, it won't be as bad Okay, and doesn't require intervention. Secondarily, so that's a that's a, and the pill uses estrogen and progesterone, Given this whole problem of recurring problem through childbirth and through menopause, and est- if you take oestrogen all the time, it has side effects. So oestrogen, additional oestrogen, can be associated, particularly if you're prone to breast cancer or family breast cancer, that could be a bad idea. It's been associated with blood clots and other complications from long-term oestrogen. Has led to the development of a different thing called SERMs, selective oestrogen receptor modulators. Mm. Some of which are aimed at the brain to actually say, can you actually regulate estrogen, this whole feedback system, without changing the estrogen status of the person? Mm. And these were developed originally in the treatment of breast cancer and other estrogen-dependent tumors. But increasingly, they've been, been looked at. As, do they have antidepressant effects? Can we modulate mood? So there's a whole area of active research with these SERMs, these selective estrogen recess- receptor modulators, and particularly those affecting the brain, to see whether we could do what you suggest. Okay.
0: All right. Now, what about hormones pre and post a baby, when pregnant and when you've got a new baby?
1: Well, as anyone, again, perhaps you and I shouldn't comment, but many women will have noticed a lot of the physiological changes that are associated with being pregnant. I think,
0: I think you can we say, can say, notice say that? every okay. woman okay. and probably every man too. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, all women who've been pregnant will have <laughs> noticed, and even some of their partners and husbands and others will have noticed. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a surge in hormonal status and change in the whole hormonal system during pregnancy to support pregnancy, and then association and and against the up and down of this. So the really risky period is, from a hormonal point of view, so-called perinatal depression is complicated. So in the pre-birth period, a lot of women who've been anxious and depressed before notice that when they're pregnant. Hmm. That's not the same then as what happens immediately postnatally, when that huge amount of hormonal stuff that's been going on rapidly changes. Once the baby's been delivered, yes. and that's the really risky period. So again, there's this kind of: is it the change in hormonal states or how quickly it happens and how dramatically it happens that feeds back to put you at risk of postnatal depression? Which yeah, I think right. there, well, I, I'm suggesting the answer to that is yes.
0: And do we know specifically what hormonal changes can lead to postnatal depression? Given that everyone who has a baby is having those hormonal changes, right?
1: So in all of this discussion from Janice and now this is what's the underlying vulnerability? Why is it that the brains of people who develop, in what ways the brains of people who develop these problems in relation to change in estrogen status, what makes them vulnerable? Mm. Given that the changes occur in all women, why are some more vulnerable than others? Which is kind of the why question we're always asking. What's the individual difference? Mm. Why is their brain, why is their circuitry more sensitive to the change? And we would say to the... Rapid change, not just the change in general, but the how quickly it goes up and down. So again, the same issue has arisen. You can't kind of avoid it in the postnatal situation, but you can be very aware that someone is at risk and may need to take uh, other actions. You can't interfere with the hormonal bit <laughs> in quite the same way. I mean, there's a whole crescendo. No, but
0: do you know if you're at high risk?
1: So- you would know through two things. Has your mum ever or your sisters or someone else in your family ever had that?
0: Postnatal depression.
1: Yep. The bigger the postnatal bit, the bigger the bit that happened around the crescendo in and rapid change in hormonal status. Mm. Interestingly, if you have had a lot of psychical problems before, so if you had a lot of premenstrual mood change, if you're a person who already knew from your cycles that you had more of that, that's worth telling your doctor. But of course, James – The subject of marvellous research. So research I'm also at Toad's with at the moment is really focused on that group. Could we detect genetically? Could we look at the genes? And would they be the genes associated with depression? Or would they be the genes related to people's estrogen status? Mm. Trying to work out from women with postnatal depression and working backwards, how are they genetically different? Right. And which genes are they? Are they the genes that are relevant to depression hmm. or are they the genes that are relevant to estrogen or or something else? So yeah, people are trying to work out exactly that. Do we have the answer yet? No. But it's a really interesting kind of thing to think about in the future. You may be able to go beyond what I was saying, ask your mum, ask your sisters and did you have really unstable hmm. Mood problems before to well, you may we may be able to in the future be much more specifically able to tell you your degree of risk.
0: So given that with postnatal depression you know specifically that hormonal changes might be a cause, does that have implications for how it might be treated, perhaps different from other other types of depression?
1: Yes. And no. <laughs> <laughs> so the immediate, the immediate answer is-
0: you get the, yeah, answers, yeah. Immediate, But you got two definite answers, two. The immediate
1: answer is you've got to treat the depression. The quicker you pick that up, the quicker you know it, mm. that that's what it is. And so what happens in a lot of postnatal depression is that the diagnosis and intervention is delayed. Yep. Alongside the hormonal thing and the postnatal thing is another one of our favorites, of course, which is the sleep-wake cycle mm. of the baby has changed. And a third one, just to throw in another- is that if you're breastfeeding, then oxytocin comes on, a different kind of hormone that drives breastfeeding, which is very good for maternal-child interactions, et cetera. So the hormonal status issue postnatally is quite complicated. Mm. It isn't just estrogen up and down. It's complicated and there's sleep-wake cycle complications. So overall treatment becomes important. But again, the issue of whether more appropriate use of hormonal therapies in that period might also help getting back onto some stabilisation of the regular oestrogen cycle. Again, the CERM issue and then the oestrogen cycle issue being explored as to what is the best combination. Mm, mm. So the thing we're definite about, identify it early, treat it early, do all the particular things, would additional hormonal treatment help is one that's being explored.
0: Okay. Let's move on to menopause.
1: Yes. So what I think is one of the things about fascinating about menopause is to ask women, when did it start?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So often people talk as if it starts with the hot flushes that they get and other physiological changes they notice in their body. If you go back and you say, when did you think your mood went off? (laughs) You know, you start to notice other changes, what we would call brain-related or mood-related or behavioral changes. Many women will say, oh, actually a bit before, Mm -hmm. like a year or two earlier. I go, isn't that interesting? That the brain, again, it's a brain problem. So, quite subtle, quite subtle changes as this system becomes worn out or reaches the end of its natural life cycle. Often, people notice the mood and behavioral change before they notice the other distressing physiological changes, physical changes that accompany menopause. But pick up Janice's point they're rarely asked. Right. And they don't often come forward for care at that point. They don't quite know they're menopausal. They know they're menopausal later on when they develop the other physical changes. And all the doctors they see agree they're menopausal at that point. So a lot of people who work in this area point out how poorly treated depression around menopause and particularly the early phases of menopause is actually treated. And that one of the reasons to treat menopause more aggressively are the mood and behavioral changes. Again, not often emphasized. And if you go back to the very famous studies which – discouraged women from seeking estrogen replacement therapy because of the potential long-term potential risks with breast cancer or with other clotting problems. I think one of the issues that was under-emphasized was the extent to which women were seeking hormone replacement therapy, not just for the physical changes, but for the mood and behavioral changes.
0: So explain hormone replacement therapy.
1: It's exactly that. Menopause is associated with the estrogen cycle is no longer producing estrogen. It's slowly falling off. And you have a whole lot of body functions, mm. if you're a woman, that depend on it. And brain what well, guess what I'm interested in? And brain bits that have you benefited from having. Amazing. So many women note, some say, I become more bloke like, I become more irritable, less empathic, careless. Now I'm going to say what I really think. And I go, actually, I'm not sure that's such a great idea. <laughs> you were really nice before. And maybe, and actually, interestingly, as an aside, Uh, I've known a variety of men who've had prostate cancer and have taken estrogen and have said, do you know what? I'm a nicer person. (laughs) I wish I'd had this my whole life. Oh, you take estrogen as part of the treatment? Yeah, as part of the treatment for prostate cancer, you can take estrogen. And many sensitive men notice the change in their own behavior Mm. (laughs) as a consequence of that. So it's it's a really interesting set of interactions. So for women, it's the loss of that, the loss of estrogen. So what is suggested is estrogen replacement or- if not estrogen itself, then what is being suggested are these CIRMs, these selective estrogen receptor modulators I was talking earlier on. And and again- Not just antidepressants. Now, here's the thing. In that group, antidepressants, as we classically describe them alone, often aren't that effective.
0: Right, because so they're not replacing the thing. They're not replacing
1: the thing that's- that has led to this dramatic change in brain sensitivity or has precipitated the event, which is loss of estrogen.
0: And, and again, there's a spectrum, right, in how, how much women going through menopause feel those changes from a little to a lot.
1: Yes. So for some women, it's very dramatic. For others, all, what's all the fuss about?
0: And so at what point do you think that you might be a candidate for hormone replacement therapy?
1: Well, this, this, going back to Janice's question, mm. if you know that you had trouble with your mood, like you've been as a teenager and you had postnatal depression, I would say if you're in your early to mid 40s, you should be thinking about this. Get yourself a really good doctor <laughs> mm. because you might decide to try and do the blood test and, and detect menopause earlier, or you might be able to detect it yourself. Because you can feel these changes mm. starting to happen again, and you may well decide that some degree of estrogen replacement or some sort of modulation therapy you'd go for earlier. Because trying... so a common the argument than yeah, you're... so a common argument. I'm in argument. Is it the right word? I'm, I'm often trying to persuade, politely and quietly, a number of my medical colleagues to commence estrogen relation therapy mm-hmm. either earlier or definitely alongside the antidepressant therapy that I'm prescribing because somebody I've been looking after has suddenly got a lot worse.
0: Yeah. And, and the and reason ha-
1: being they're not suddenly fighting with their husband they're not suddenly changing they've become menopausal.
0: How how does it work? Like what what do you actually do for the estrogen replacement therapies? Well like there's estrogen pill alone and infusion yeah, pill. no.
1: Pills. Pills. there are pills so easy estrogen there are estrogen replacement huh. therapies what people are concerned about is the monitoring and having to take account of whether you have other things like if you've had breast cancer yourself or you have a strong family history of breast cancer or there are other there are other contraindications there are other reasons not where estrogen replacement therapy using estrogen itself may be considered risky but a lot of people never have the discussion and a lot of discussion if you said if you have this discussion with people here's the here's the particularly for people who do not, never had breast cancer themselves or one of the other complicating cancers, or don't have a strong family history, you know, here's the risk of, and uh, this may not just, for the qualification, this may not be for life. Mm. This may just be during the period of transition. Again, going back to the up and down thing, it may be for some months or some years, it may not be for the rest of your life, Mm. but it may be during this transition period. Yeah. That oestrogen replacement really helps to manage mood disturbance are there at that time.
0: Unpleasant side effects of it?
1: Generally, no. Well, yeah. generally not. It's the risks associated with longer term oestrogen therapy which have received a whole lot of, uh, well, media media coverage. But doctors are also kind of warned about to provide you with adequate warning. But I think there needs to be much more active discussion between doctors rather than saying, look, all the things that could go wrong. Here's this thing that's already gone wrong. Mm. I'm really in a bad way. And from a depression point of view in terms of management, I'm really not getting over it without estrogen replacement in one form yeah. or another. Yeah. So there are a small number of doctors I think that are really conversant with and, and, and endocr- hormone doctors that, that I work with. and. and doctors who work in the in the kind of female reproductive kind of world who are very sensitive to this. But a whole lot of other doctors aren't. Mm. They've just got this, oh, no, we've just got to discourage women from having estrogen replacement because it could increase their risk of breast cancer or other mm. problems down the track.
0: That's yeah, trade And
1: they're not that sensitive to how – what a big impact this is having on a woman's life.
0: So this episode is about the relationship between hormones and mental health. Let's end with uh, being in love. That's um – you know, stimulates oxytocin, doesn't it? Yeah, so oxytocin our favorite.
1: Though. Well, well no. dopamine, very 1970s, but James. Yeah. Okay. You know, 2020, oxytocin is your love drug of the- Yeah. Of the, of the
0: so it's p- a hormone, right?
1: Yeah. So yeah. it comes out of the that hypothalamic pituitary thing, out of the posterior pituitary, comes this thing which principally is there, well, we thought was principally there to drive breastfeeding, but it turns out we've all got it. And women release it most, is the fascinating thing, in the middle of their menstrual cycle when they're most likely to get pregnant. Mm. So there's a nasty little evolutionary trick there. Because, you know, if you squirt it up people's nose- people, Nasty or
0: nice, depending on how you look at it.
1: Well, it increases your chance of being pregnant.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes you be... see
1: all sorts of people who you thought were not very attractive or were not very warm. It gives them- you make, It makes you feel- in, in relationship situations, more strongly attached, closer to, and re- we're really interested in the way it changes the way that people look at people, the way their facial expressions, they interact. So a lot of it, it's not necessarily verbal. You just interact with people in a more intimate way.
0: And and if you're a male or, or a woman, not in a female, not in, at that stage in their cycle, being in love stimulates oxytocin anyway, doesn't it? I mean, we've talked about the yes. similarities between being in love and being mentally ill before. They, <laughs> it distorts. Your,
1: it distorts. It changes your view.
0: Well, d- 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 distorted perception of reality.
1: Yeah. Well, well and the interesting, just come back to, as does estrogen yeah. to some degree, it gives you a nicer view of people, hmm. warmer feeling about other people. Right. People who are low on estrogen and low on ox- oxytocin tend to have a nasty view.
0: But oxytocin can be that infatuated, Yeah, we think. That, yeah.
1: We think yeah. it's a, yeah, so it's also, it's also however, however, it also goes up when you're fighting with persons you really don't like. Oh, that ain't all good. So it's a complicated, mm. it's a complicated hormonal thing. So context, I mean, like many human things, it doesn't occur in isolation. The context in which it occurs. So it's also been studies of when couples are fighting, for example. Mm. <laughs> they obviously care about each other. Why do they get so worked up with each other? Why do they get so angry with each other? Mm. Well, apparently they care about each other too, but there's an intensity to it. Yeah. Love-hate type stuff.
0: So is there a cart-horse issue? Do external events affect your mental health, like falling in love, and that then affects hormones, stimulates oxytocin, or do the internal events, the production of oxytocin at a particular time, cause you to fall in love and affect your mental health in that way. So t- oh, James,
1: kind of don't be so linear. Don't be so linear. Right. They're all clearly, stuck. clearly in humans, the reinforcement, these sort of cycles are reinforcing the thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And and the tricks that that plays. So the what the reproductive one, which I think is really tricky, is that this increase in oxytocin in women in the middle of their cycle when they're most fertile might make them more likely to get into relationships, have sex and get pregnant. Mm. So that's a nasty, that's a nasty little evolutionary trick, I think. It's affecting the way they behave, but it's also increasing the chance that they get pregnant. Now, in, in outside of that situation, if we get into a certain context and then the, you know, we do feel warm inside, we feel we've associated that feeling with being in contact with that yeah, person, yeah, yeah. we're more likely to seek that person out again in the future. Mm-hmm. We're more likely to spend time with them, and that itself feeds back to feeling warmly about them specifically them versus others?
0: So I think specifically, if we're looking at the relationship or the question that Janice asked, the relationship between hormones and mental health, kind of the takeouts are, yes, there is one, particularly at certain periods, before or after a baby, periods, falling in love, menopause. Be aware of it because particularly with some of those events like menopause, the fact that your moods might be hormonally related, can affect, A, you recognizing what's happening and, B, how it's treated.
1: Yeah. And without attention to it, you may not receive effective treatment. Yeah. So Janice has raised a really important Thank thing. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, Janice. And anyone else and any other woman in that situation, please, please bring this to the attention of your doctor. We talk about other things like seasonality, right? Bring it to the attention of your doctor. Actually, I get worse in autumn. I get better in spring. Bring this one to the attention of the doctor. Don't Don't be put off. Please raise it. And as we say, if your doctor's not listening, get another doctor.
0: If you've got any questions or comments or want to suggest further topics for us, like Janice did, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2, mindingyourmindnumeral2 at gmail.com. Our book, Minding Your Mind, written by Ian and myself, is out that covers lots of the themes and strategies in our podcast and our podcast is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health further helps available from headspace beyond blue head to health and lifeline google them or call lifeline on one